everybody. Welcome back to Looking for the Real God. This is Christy Lynn Wood. Today, as we finish up our series on prayer, we're going to be talking about liturgy and the drama surrounding it among some evangelicals, as well as the Lord's Prayer. I had so many conversations this last week about prayer and specifically about liturgy in worship, in different kinds of prayer amongst Christians, the conflict that is surrounding it right now in some evangelical subcircles. And it's really fascinating to me as I finish up this prayer series and I was planning on talking about liturgy and the Book of Common Prayer and stuff like that. And then I literally talked to at least three different people, and this topic came up. So it appears to be timely. Who knew there was so much conflict surrounding this? I went to my prayer group that I've been talking about on Wednesday this last week, and apparently I've been saying the word contemplative wrong. It's supposed to be contemplative. Go figure. So I've only ever read it, and it looked like I'm contemplating something, but it's actually contemplative. So there you go. Shows how much I know. (laughs) Um, So I was telling the ladies in my prayer group that when we're quiet like that, because we do have a lot of times of quietness in our prayer, that really that can just be contemplative prayer, that it can be this quiet time where we're just enjoying God's presence, seeking his presence without words. And so I kind of had given them a name for this. I I think it might have been new. Anyway, um, later on that day, I was talking to a friend of mine, and she mentioned that the word contemplative is banned in some churches where she knows because it's too divisive, that it causes too many divisions. People think that it's progressive. And I was like, wait, isn't contemplative prayer like an ancient tradition? Like ancient historical Christians used to practice contemplative prayer and breath prayer and all this kind of stuff. And she goes, yeah, it's very ancient. But somehow in some evangelical circles, it has become labeled as too progressive to be talked about. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Guys, this is where we're going these days, and I'm just so concerned for what's happening within some of these evangelical churches, like the fear that they are facing and the things that they are doing to protect the traditions and the religious aspects of what they've created in their buildings and in their culture of Christianity is just so disturbing to me. That we could be at a place where we are rejecting an ancient prayer practice and calling it progressive when it's really just a huge part of being historically Christian. I'm just, I'm floored by that. And yet I think I kind of get it because I know that as so many, especially younger Christians, younger generation of Christians are really turning towards the liturgies and more liturgical churches and spiritual disciplines, liturgical practices, paying attention to the Christian calendar and stuff like that, that it is very threatening to certain evangelicals and to certain evangelical churches. I'm not totally sure why it's so threatening to them, but it's very threatening. And growing up in evangelicalism, especially within my cult, I definitely got a feeling that we were better than liturgical churches. But somehow they were not as spiritual as we were because we were free to pray free prayers and to do our own thing. And they were bound to these liturgies. But as 
I've gotten older and actually done some exploration into what the beliefs are of the liturgical churches and their practices. Like I'm astounded by the depth and just the meaning and the wisdom of what everything means and what it does and how it makes you feel as a believer and how it just involves your whole body. I'm just really fascinated by it. I'm currently reading I'm currently reading Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren and it is just eye-opening, deep, thought-provoking, simple. It's so good. It's so good. And she even just explained the theology behind infant baptism in one of her chapters. And I didn't know why they baby the baby baptized, but now that I've read it, I'm like, okay, I, t- I can see why they would do that. That makes sense. It was always just something that was rejected growing up in my evangelical churches. And so it's interesting to me to see how similar many of my beliefs are with people who are from a more liturgical background. And yet you watch how this is just rejected and shot down within the evangelical circles. And uh, I'm just... I'm just heartbroken by it. I'm heartbroken by just the division and divisiveness and the way that we can't just like appreciate differences, why they're so fearful. So let's talk about liturgy and its place within prayer. So I ordered a book of common prayer off Amazon in preparation for this series. And as I paged through it, it's huge. It's, I bought the big fat one. I'm not really sure why, but I did. And um, as I'm paging through it, it's just interesting. It's interesting to see the different prayers, the different responses between the leader and the congregation, um, just the different things you look at, different topics, prayers for this, prayers for that, house blessings, prayers for people who are repenting, coming back. I mean, it's just very, very interesting. And when I think about just the history behind these prayers, and the framework that they provide. I just, I like to ponder it. So then Saturday, I was having a conversation with my father, and his evangelical church has actually really embraced a lot of the liturgical practices, and they have Sunday night service called Vespers. It's a lot of this responsive praying, responsive recitations from the church. It's singing hymns, And he said it's so, it just reminds him of going to church when he's a kid in the Catholic church. Like it just reminds him of that same, like just, just the repetition and he loves it. He absolutely loves it. He was talking about his pastor and how the pastor had said that during this time in his life, when he went through just a lot of really rough, hard things all at once, that he felt like he couldn't even pray anymore. He had no words. He didn't know what to say. And it was then that he discovered the beauty of the Book of Common Prayer because he was able to put words to his heart that weren't his, but he was able to speak other people's words. And it it ultimately drew him back into his relationship with Jesus and was able to, again, start praying his own words. I love that. And Tish Harrison Warren talks about that in her book, about a time when she was just, had no words left. She was just really struggling. She was distraught. She was broken. And she said she just continued to bow before God and to raise her hands and to do the sign of the cross and just in her body make the motions of prayer, sitting quietly, folding her hands. And even though her words had nothing, they were not there. She let her heart and her body just speak. And eventually her body brought her back to speaking words to God again. And I just feel like this is so powerful. And I look at what's happening within the evangelical church right now, the evangelical community. 
so many people and leaders that are just falling, being exposed for who they really are, the sin that's being brought to light, just the junk that's happening. And I know that many of us are asking, like, why? Why is this happening? Why does this keep happening over and over again? And there's many reasons. And I would suggest that you read both Chuck DeGroat's book, When Narcissism Comes to Church, as well as Caitlin Beatty's book, Celebrities for Jesus, because they really talk about a lot of what's going on in evangelical Christianity. But guys, I think there's a huge part of just not having a framework. Within evangelicalism, there's such a push to be free, that we are free prayers. We don't pray rote prayers. We're free prayers, and we're free from denominational authority many times. We're free from any kind of hierarchy within the churches. I'm not sure that freedom is very good for us because we don't have a framework. We don't have anything to build on. We're just kind of left without anything strong under our feet. We don't have spiritual disciplines. We don't have the holistic approach to worship. We don't have the prayers. We don't have the history. Yes, we're very free, but I'm not sure that's all good. And so even though I love free prayer and I love that we have the opportunity to pray whatever's on our heart with God, I do think that common prayer and liturgical prayer really just brings us back to that place of having a framework and knowing what you can say to God. And I think it can be genuine, absolutely genuine. And even if it isn't your own words, it doesn't make it even less genuine. You can still be praying them from your own heart, coming to God. And I don't think we need to be so threatened by things that are different. I really hope that we can get to the place where we can just embrace differences, enjoy the differences, be grateful for the differences, and just allow these differences to grow us, to challenge us, to change us, and maybe even to become something that we didn't even know we wanted to be or experiencing something that we didn't even know existed. I think that it is so good to be able to just embrace differences. And so I really totally get the people who are looking for more liturgical experiences because I think we're missing framework. I really do. And especially if people are trying to rebuild their faith after brokenness, after spiritual abuse and religious trauma, I think we need a framework. And I think that's why we're being drawn to this liturgy. At the same time, I understand where these evangelical Christians are coming from in their fear because things that are different are scary. And when you've been told your whole life that these things are wrong and you start to question things, what if everything else falls apart? I think that's where the fear comes from. I think that there really is this doubt of like, what if everything that I have been told isn't actually true? And if it falls apart, what's left? And then there's power. People are, they like their power and they don't want that challenged. And so there's just a lot going on within the evangelical church right now. And I I just look at all of the divisions and all of the people who are so quick to just reject and condemn things that are different. And I just, I know that it's from a place of fear because I know who I used to be and how I used to feel. And so my heart breaks for them, but I am going to continue to push people to these ancient practices that are truly a beautiful way of experiencing God in a really more deeper way. I think it's important to recognize that everything we do as humans is cyclical. Like there is this swing that happens and 
it actually eventually ends up kind of rounding around in a circle. I was talking to a girl this last week too, same, I had a lot of conversations this week and we were talking and she was saying that it's kind of like one of those pendulums that just swing. But she said the kind that goes like in a circle. So it swings this way and it swings back and it swings this way and it swings back and eventually makes itself all the way around the circle and just keeps going around and around and around in a swinging kind of fashion. And I totally see that. I see the extremes that we're dealing with right now. I see just how much of the Christian right is just kind of parroting the same junk from my cult. And as much as it makes me crazy and triggered and want to just scream, no, no, no. Like I realize this is the cycle. This is the cycle, these swings. And then eventually, hopefully, (laughs) someday we recognize truth. But the truth is we are humans who just continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. And yet God is so gracious with us and continues to pursue us and is coming back to rescue us. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. And I can't wait. Guys, I hope this prayer series has been encouraging for you. I hope that you've been challenged to maybe try something new or think about things differently or even just just reaffirmed in your own relationship with God. I'm just going to leave you with one thought that I said probably every episode, but prayer is a way for us to connect with God. And that's really what it's all about, us connecting with God. And so I would just like to leave you with that thought. How can you connect with God this week? Maybe it will be in finding a common prayer or a liturgy. Maybe it will be praying the Lord's Prayer. We're going to close that today. Maybe it will be quietly in contemplative prayer or breath prayer or walking or journaling or free prayer, which is just you telling God whatever you want to tell him. All of those are just ways for us to connect with God, which is the ultimate goal. So like I said, we're going to end with the Lord's Prayer today, and I'm reading it out of Matthew in my ESV translation. I think it's interesting that he prefaces it in Matthew with some other thoughts on prayer. So I'm kind of going to go with that, and then we'll finish with the Lord's Prayer. Jesus talks about not praying loudly in public, showing off to everybody else what a great person you are and how great you can pray but instead just going quietly into your room by yourself. Now we know later on that Jesus also talks about where two or three are gathered, there he is with them. So we don't have to pray just by ourselves. The idea is not having that show. It's not about a show. It's about a connection. And then he says, don't just heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. They think they're going to be heard because they're many words. This was in the temples, the Gentiles or the Greeks in the temples. They were, they would just have these like constant babble going on. They were just constantly, constantly just talking and babbling and continuing it on. And that's what he's saying. It doesn't have to be this continual thing that you, your father knows what you need. Just ask him. He'll give it to you. There's no special way. There's no formula to get the things that you want from God. Just talk to him. And so with that, let's close with the Lord's prayer. Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time, keep searching. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would love to have you join me over on my website at christylynnwood.com. For more content, free resources, and opportunities to connect with a community of people who are looking for the real God.